The first part of chapter 12, we saw Satan's history. It was a picture of how Satan has been opposed to the people of God since before the Messiah arrived, uh, and he tried to stop the Messiah from being born. Uh, But then the second part of chapter 12, we saw Satan's war. We saw how Satan has already been conquered through the death of Christ, um, yet he has been permitted to war against the church until Jesus returns. In the first part of chapter 13, we saw the beast. We saw that one of the ways that Satan wars against the church is by exercising his power through human kingdoms. In the second part of chapter 13, we saw the false prophet, how another way that Satan wars against the church is through deception. In the first part of chapter 14, we saw the the 144,000. It was a vision of heaven to help the church endure on earth. And then last time, in the second part of chapter 14, we heard three angels give three messages, and they were messages of warning about the coming judgment, and they were a call for the saints to endure. So, so far in this section, we've seen Satan's plans, Satan's tactics for warring against the church during this age. We've heard the call to endure as believers, to endure all the way to the end. We've heard the promise that evil will be judged. And today we come to the end of this section of Revelation where we see a vision of the end of this age that we've been walking through. So with that, let's read Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? The Holy Spirit says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me briefly just once more? Father, I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. I will speak the very utterances of God. I pray that you would fill my hearers with the Holy Spirit, that he would guide them into the truth. 
that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Lord, we have heard your word for us today. I pray that we would submit to it, honor you through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can you think of a moment in your life when you realized after this, things will never be the same? When something happened that so radically changed your life that you can mark time by it. There was my life before this happened, and then there was my life after this happened, my totally different life after. Maybe it was the moment the doctor put that baby in your arms, and you realized, my life will never be the same again. Maybe it was a moment you lost a loved one and you thought things will never be the same again. Well, our text today describes a moment after which things will never be the same. And however dramatically any one of those moments of your life may have changed your life, nothing compares to the stark, dramatic change that is going to happen on this day. This passage describes the end of the age. It describes the moment when Jesus will return. And all people who are alive at that moment... And all people who have ever lived will go to their final destination. The main thing that I want you to get from this passage today is this. Your final destination is in Jesus' hands. Your final destination is in Jesus' hands. What we see in these verses is that your final destination will be one of two places. There are two destinations in this passage. In verses 14 through 16, we see believers will go to Jesus. Believers will go to Jesus. This passage begins in verse 14 with Jesus seeing an, in, excuse me, not Jesus, with John seeing an individual, spoiler alert, it's Jesus, um, but John sees this individual in verse 14. Uh, look at that verse with me. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. So John would have recognized the Son of Man on a cloud, first of all, from Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament. And if you've been with us through Revelation, we've seen a lot of Daniel 7 in Revelation. Daniel 7 begins with Daniel receiving a vision of four beasts. Um, these four beasts represented four kingdoms that would reign over the earth one after another, leading up to the end of history. 
And uh, the reason why that came up before is John saw a similar vision in Revelation 13, but John saw all these four beasts combined as one beast. Uh, Nevertheless, it's this image of these earthly kingdoms that uh, reign until the end of the age. In Daniel 7, Daniel saw that at the end of the age, after those kingdoms had been in power for a while, God will intervene and he will set up his king and he will set up his kingdom. And on that day, the kingdom of God will eclipse the kingdom of this world. In Daniel 7, 13, and 14, as Daniel is seeing this, Daniel describes the moment that he saw God's king, the Messiah, who has come to reign over God's kingdom. Daniel 7, 13, and 14 reads, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that is God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So when John sees one like a son of man seated on a cloud, he knows he's looking at his Lord. Jesus Christ. Not only that, not not only because he knows Daniel 7, but during Jesus' earthly ministry, John also would have heard Jesus talk about this moment at the end of the age. Uh, For instance, Matthew 24, verses 30 and 31, records how Jesus taught his disciples using language from Daniel 7. He said, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and then catch this, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So when John sees the Son of Man on a cloud, he knows he's seeing Jesus. He's seeing a vision of the second coming. And in this vision, Jesus has returned to gather his elect. This gathering is portrayed in uh, our passage as a harvest. And that's why Jesus has a sharp sickle in his hand. Look at verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Christ has a sickle because the earth is ready to be harvested. Jesus used this same picture of a harvest to describe the end of the age in several of his teachings. You might be familiar with the parable of the wheat and the tares. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but then one night uh, the man's enemy came in and sowed weeds among his wheat. So when all the plants started to grow, the wheat and the weeds started to sprout up together. So the man's servants come to him and say, hey, should we go and take care of these weeds? But the master says, no, let them both grow all the way until the harvest. And then at the harvest... We'll gather the weeds to be burned, and we'll gather the wheat into my barn. 
Well, this is what John is seeing in Revelation 14. The harvest is the final judgment of all people. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvest is that moment when all people who will ever live will go to their final destination, their eternal destiny. This harvest is a moment after which things will never be the same. John sees Jesus reap in verse 16. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, in the next section, we're going to see a picture of the harvest of the unrighteous, but this verse is a picture of the moment that Jesus returns to gather his elect, as he said in Matthew 24, to gather them, to bring them home to himself. This is the same moment that Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians 4. Go ahead and uh, turn back a few pages with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. And read with me verses 14 through 17. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Christians, one day Christ will return to gather us to himself. He will come for us, and we will be united with him for all of eternity. If we trust in Jesus, this is our future. If we trust in Jesus' death, our future is not death. If we trust in Jesus' resurrection, our future is resurrection. Jesus will come back for us. We will enter his presence. We will be reunited with those who have gone before us, and we will always be with the Lord. After that moment, things will never be the same. Never again will we be separated from Jesus. Never again will we be separated from our Christian loved ones. Never again will we be tempted to sin. Never again will we face disease or death. And this scene should urge us to stay faithful. It should urge us to, to keep holding on to Jesus until we get to that day of the final harvest. To keep living for the one who's going to come back for us. But what does it look like to stay faithful in light of the day that believers will go to Jesus? Well, consider two encouragements. First of all, keep sowing. Keep sowing while we're anyway using harvest language. 
Consider what Paul writes in Galatians 6, 7 through 9. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This life is fleeting. It is going to be over fast. Yet, we are going to continue to exist forever, for all of eternity. This life is like a tiny speck on an infinite timeline. And the Bible clearly teaches that the way we live our lives in this short life will have consequences for all of eternity. Paul says here in Galatians 6 that those who sow to the flesh will reap corruption. Those who use this life for their own. While we wait for the final harvest, there's another harvest, a different harvest that we are supposed to be focused on. Jesus said in John 4, 35, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And he also said in Luke 10 and verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When Jesus comes for the final harvest, it will be too late for anyone else to turn to him. But before that final harvest comes, there is a harvest that is happening right now. Right now, Jesus says, the world around us is like fields that are ripe and just waiting to be reaped. Do you realize what Jesus is saying here about this world? If you think that the task of evangelism is to go out and to go to people who, who hate God and, and, lay, and you have to labor to make arguments and wear them down until you finally convince them to trust in Jesus, we're, we're missing what Jesus is saying here. The picture he's painting is not, hey, there's this really, 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 really hard work that it's all on you to go do. Jesus says, there's people out there right now who are ready to be harvested. They're just waiting for someone to share the gospel with them. God does the hard work of changing hearts. God does the hard work of transforming lives. God has people out there in the world that are just waiting to be harvested, waiting for the gospel to be preached. And God is going to use someone to preach the gospel to them. God is going to use someone to harvest them. The question is, who is going to go out and labor in God's harvest? Jesus calls us to pray that God would send out laborers. And we should pray that God would send us out as laborers, out into this harvest that is ready to be reaped. We should go out into the harvest and share with people 
the good news of what Jesus has done to secure their eternal final destination with him forever so that more people will be part of the final harvest on the last day and would be joined to Jesus, reunited, gathered with all of Jesus' elect, gathered together with Christ to be with him forever. Your final destination is in Jesus' hands. And believers will go to Jesus as their final destination. He is our final destination if we trust him. So trust him. Trust in Jesus. And his presence will be your final destination. But we also see in this passage that unbelievers will go to wrath. Unbelievers will go to wrath. Turn back with me to Revelation 14. John sees another reaper in verse 17. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Like the first reaper, this one also has a sharp sickle, but this is an angel, not the Messiah we saw before. Then in verse 18, John sees a scene, again, similar to what was before. Another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. Uh, So like in the first section, an angel comes out, calls the reaper to put in his sickle, but this time he describes the harvest as clusters from the vine of the earth, ripe grapes. That's not the only difference. Look at verse 19. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. This second harvest is a harvest of sinners. This is the gathering of all people who have sinned against God and have not trusted in the death of Jesus to save them from their sins. Those who do not repent will receive God's wrath. Look at how the picture concludes in verse 20. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. 1,600 stadia is about 184 miles Put yourself in John's shoes. This is a vision, but imagine what it would have been like to see this image. Blood up to your neck as far as the eye can see. It's graphic. It's grotesque. And it's meant to be. Because it's meant to give us a vivid portrait of just how severe our sin is and how great the wrath is that our sin deserves. This horrifying picture confronts us with the extent of the wrath that we rightly deserve. See, this wine press 
being trodden. Who is it that treads the winepress? Well, John will see in just a few chapters, Revelation 19, verses 15 and 16, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty is none other than the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The same one who gathers his elect to himself is the one who will bring God's wrath upon those who reject him. We, we know that people should be held accountable for the bad things that they've done. We know that wrongs should be made right, right, due to crime, due to time. But it's easy to minimize that picture or to keep it so abstract that we lose the sense of the weight of what our sin really deserves. So God gives us this portrait so that we would be sober, so that we would have our eyes opened to just how serious sin really is. God paints this picture, this graphic picture in vivid colors so that we would understand that sin is not just the lesser of two options. It's not just that sinning is not God's best for your life. Sin is a heinous act of rebellion against Almighty God. Sin is not something to treat lightly. It's not something that we should just manage or play around with. Sin deserves bloodshed. This is how seriously we must take our sin and the sin of others. We must carry this sense of weight and seriousness of sin. Whenever we are talking about sin, never should it be light. When we fight our own sin, we need to have a sense of the seriousness with which God takes sin. When we help others walk in repentance, we need to remember how serious sin is. When we discipline and instruct our children, we need to remember how serious and severe sin is. When we share the gospel with our neighbors, we need to have a deep sense, a profound sense of how severe sin is. Because when Jesus returns... Things will never be the same. Never again will there be an opportunity to repent. In this passage, we're reminded that one day it will be too late. It will be too late to repent. It will be too late to trust in Jesus. It will be too late because he will gather his people to himself. His people will be together with him forever when he returns. But he will also judge all who reject him and they will receive his wrath forever never again 
will there be a chance to turn. Never again will there be an opportunity to be saved. Never again will there be a chance to experience the love of Jesus. Things will never be the same. So I wonder, are you living like that final day is coming? This passage is meant to define how we see history, time, the world, and the future. It's meant to shape the way that we live our lives in the present. So are you living like that final day is coming, or are you living like you have all the time in the world? You're living like your neighbor has all the time in the world. At the end of this fleeting life is the final day after which things will never be the same. On the other side of that day is eternity, forever, never ending. So who do you need to warn about that coming day? Who in your life needs to hear the warning messages, say, from earlier in Revelation 14? Who in your life is not living for God and needs to hear Revelation 14, 7, fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Who in your life is living for their own pleasure and satisfaction and needs to hear Revelation 14, 8, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Who in your life is living for this world and this life and needs to hear Revelation 14, 9 and 10? If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Unbelievers will go to wrath their final destination for eternity. And I, for one, need to be reminded of the urgent call to warn the world about the coming judgment. Today is the day of salvation. And there may not be a tomorrow. Today is when you can start taking sin seriously and repent. Today is when you can turn to Jesus and receive his salvation and his love and his gift of eternal life. Jesus came the first time to die so that when he comes the second time, you can be saved. When Jesus came to die, he was taken outside the city like we're told this wine press is outside the city. Jesus was taken outside the city. He shed his own blood as your substitute. The very wrath of God that Jesus will pour out on the wicked at his second coming was poured out on him at his first coming so that you could be spared, so that your life could be saved, so that your eternal destiny would not have to be wrath. But your eternal destiny could be with Jesus, the all-satisfying Lord and Savior. So repent. Turn away 
from sin. Stop living for yourself. Stop trusting in yourself to make you right with God. Turn to Jesus. Trust in him to forgive you of your sin. Trust in him as your Lord and King. Your final destination is in Jesus' hands. And unbelievers will go to wrath. So trust in Jesus to save you from the wrath to come. There is coming a day sooner than you realize after which things will never be the same. If you're a believer, you are almost home. If you're not a believer, you're almost out of time. Your final destination is in Jesus' hands. How will you respond? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the reminder of the day that is coming. Lord, it is a joyful reminder to those who will be reunited with Christ. Lord, it is also a sobering reminder of what eternity awaits those who reject you. Lord, I pray that this coming day would help define our reality now and define our our worldview now. Lord, would we live lives today as if that day is coming, because it is. Lord, I pray that we would, as your people, sow for eternity, reap in the white harvest around us, And Lord, I pray that we would warn those around us. Lord, if there is anyone here today who is living far from you in rebellion against you, living for themselves, living for their own pleasure and living for this world, Lord, I pray that they would repent, that they would see that Jesus is better, that Jesus is all satisfying, that Jesus can save them their sin. I pray that they would trust in Christ. You would do a work of transformation in their heart. They would hate sin and love Jesus and turn to him for everlasting life. Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.